Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Let us open with prayer. Father, we ask that you speak to us through your word and that it may be your word that we hear and your word to which we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, over the last couple sermons, both Henry and Skip had a, talked about suffering, theirs and that of others. And there was a common theme uh, when they were talking about the things that they've gone through in their lives and things that others have gone through that they've helped folks with. And their theme was to draw closer to Jesus. And that's something I want to talk with you about today. So when I was a much younger guy, uh, much younger, uh, we were, I was working in the garage, woodworking. And to give you an idea, money was very tight, you know, it was very difficult. And I was woodworking in the garage because we didn't have the money to buy good furniture. So I was in the garage with my tools building furniture. I can actually build furniture, believe it or not. And my mind was full of all the distractions that you can imagine. And I was listening to a Christian radio station at the time, and it was some music coming on. I kind of noticed that it changed, didn't pay any attention to it. It turned into a Billy Graham crusade uh, uh, basically began to be broadcast. And I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. I was busy with my own thoughts and, you know, trying not to hurt myself, you know, that type of thing. So then I started hearing a common theme in Billy Graham's talk. And it was similar to what Skip and Henry talked about. In that he would talk about someone, the, the struggles that people were dealing with. And the answer over and over, it took me about an hour and a half out of a two-hour uh, crusade to finally get what he was saying. When we're dealing with troubles, when we're dealing with difficult, difficulties, when we're dealing with problems, there is only one answer. And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There is no other answer. You know, I'm a normal guy. I'll fix it. That's my job. No, the answer is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that meant a lot to me there, but... Being an engineer, um, I've had to sp spend a lot of time trying to figure out the key question. We know the answer is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, but who is this Jesus? Who is He? So, I want to talk about that today, and then I want to talk about how we respond to Him. A critical point to remember, and if, if you disagree with this point, please see me after class, because we need to talk. The Bible is true and the sole source for all revelation of God. Okay? The Bible is true and the sole source for all revelation of God. Now again, I'll make myself available after the service and anybody would like to debate me or discuss it. So when I was listening to Pastor Alistair Begg and trying to, listening to his talk on who is Jesus, he made a point that I just thought was spot on. By the way, I can't do his Scottish accent if any of y'all listen to Alistair Begg. Um, his point was, Jesus was not always a man, but was always God. Now, that's important enough to repeat. Jesus was not always a man, but he was always God. And for me and my growth in the knowledge of Jesus, I didn't understand that. So I'm going to give you a brief explanation of what that means. So when, God, when Moses was talking to God the Father on Sinai, if y'all will remember what God clearly said, 
when Moses said, you know, Lord, God, I'd like to see your face. What was the answer? No one can see my face because if they do, they will die. Paraphrase. So that means anybody who sees God the Father will die. So, I'll ask y'all, who walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden? Not glided along, whatever, walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Who did that? Who physically appeared to Abraham? Who physically wrestled with Jacob to the point where whoever it was kind of got tired of it all night long and ended up popping his hip out of joint? And then blessed him because he wouldn't let go and renamed him Israel. Who was this? Well, the, the simple term is, the, the term used is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus as God before he became a man. The, the theological term is a Christophany. So if you haven't come to that concept, go back and read some of the Old Testament appearances. It'll change your life. Now, fast forward a little bit, Jesus becomes a man. I don't know if you all realize this, there were over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus met every single one of them. There was not a single prophecy that he did not meet. Now, again, if you want to do the math, I think the, the statistical probability of one human being doing that in the entire existence of mankind is like one times 10 to the 26. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a math guy. So that's big. That's like, that ain't going to happen. Okay, so this is impressive. So we've got God coming down as a man and meeting all the prophetic requirements. So what else does the Bible tell us? New Testament tells us, and this is something Skip mentioned. So as Jesus is walking the earth, he cured a man of leprosy. He healed a paralytic. He healed a man's hand. He calmed waters on a lake. Everybody thought they were going to drown. He cured a woman of her blood disease. He not only cured her, she just touched his garment and believed and was cured. He came back from the dead. Now, this, you know, there's historic references by Josephus and, and, and Philo about Jesus as a person. Okay? But there were over 500 people who firsthand saw the resurrected Christ. If you want to talk about facts, there you go. And my comment to this up to this point is, okay, you have my attention now. This is beginning to get my attention. So now let's talk about what, who Jesus said he was. You know, uh, remember what John the Baptist said, I am not him. Now, I don't want to dishonor God. He's to come. So Jesus claimed, and again, in today's gospel reading, chapter six, I'm sorry, John chapter six, verses 32 and 36. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Think about that for a second. 
Now, fast forward, skipping the apostles' comment, which was, you know, a little, okay, you guys just don't get it. And Jesus responded to them saying, I am the bread of life. Okay, there's a magic set of words there. Not magic, sorry. There's an important set of words. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, I want to talk about John 18, verses 4 through 6, and I don't want to read them to you. I want to talk about them a little bit. Another example of an indirect uh, reference, and there are many more. I just picked these two. So, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew he was going to be crucified on the cross. He knew he was going to die a horrible death. And yet he was sitting on the night before, when the night he was about to be arrested with, his, uh, with the disciples and probably heard a little bit of, and I'm you know, just describing it a little bit, so don't go textual on me. He heard a commotion outside, the soldiers coming. He knew it was about to happen. And he walked outside. Now, first of all, all of us in here, okay, soldiers coming this way, Joe's going that way. You know, but he didn't. He walked outside. And he said, who do you seek? And he said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. He's, in the ESV, it says, different than what I'm about to tell you, and I'll explain. Jesus said, I am. Now, in the ESV, it says, I am he. But those are translated roughly the same. The Greek, it's, it's ego amy, which is the same thing that God told Moses. When Jesus said, I am, in verse 6, the soldiers fell backwards to the ground. I want you to get a visual image of this. The Lord of the universe is standing there, and he declares his personage in the words, I am. And the soldiers are literally blown away from the place. So, Jesus also directly claims to be God. I'm not going to go through in depth on this, but I will read off the, the citations. John 5.17 My Father is working until now, and I am working. John 8.58 Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John 10.30-33 I and the Father are one. Y'all, if I stood up here and claimed to be God, many of you know me, and you would laugh me out of this place. That's exactly what Jesus was doing to people who've been hanging around with him for years. Stephen pointed out earlier this summer that C.S. Lewis and other authors, I think he's probably the first, came up with uh, logical, three logical choices that you have right this moment. You can either believe that Jesus was a lunatic, that he was a liar, or, or Jesus is Lord. Those are the only three logical choices that you have. Now I want to address the lunatic and liar bit. Remember I mentioned those guys that hung around with him for a couple years? We, we know each other, right? So if one of us started declaring themselves as God or had special powers or something like that, we ain't going to hang around with him anymore the disciples actually went to the point where they literally died for Jesus. You don't do that if a person's a liar. 
You don't follow a lunatic. It leaves us one option. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is and always has been God. Now knowing that, we now know who we should worship and why. But now we have to ask himself, why did he become a man? What, 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 what did that benefit us? In John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so whoever believes on him shall have eternal life. So I'll tell you a quick story of the man, trying, man approaches the pearly gates and St. Peter standing there and uh, St. Peter says, uh, can I help you? The guy says, yep, I went into heaven. And he says, okay, well, it only takes 100 points. He says, okay, I got this covered. All right, so tell me, tell me about why you should get in. He said, all right, so I led a, a mission to Africa where I personally saved 10,000 souls. Oh, really? Okay, that's one point. Ooh, okay. Well, I've been a pastor of a church for 30 years, and uh, you know we've, we've, we've pre preached the gospel for 30 years. Oh, very good. That's one point. You got two now. And he said, well, at this rate, only by the grace of God and, and the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ am I going to be saved. He said, that's 100 points. Why didn't you start with that? <laughs> Jesus gave us a gift that we can't repay. So when I talk about responding, I don't mean works. I don't mean doing things. You know, Jesus died doing things because you want to gain advantage, but doing them because your heart says you got to do it. Jesus died a horrible death that he knew was coming for your sins, for your sins, you personally. Praise God. The simple answer is God gave Himself up to die on the cross because He loves you. The depth of God's love for you is another sermon. But know that God loves you. Not everybody or some fuzzy God that you hear about on the Discovery Channel. God loves you individually as a person. He created you for a purpose. And He made you who you are for a reason. Bottom line, He loves you. I'm not saved by anything I have done. I am not saved by anything in me. I am saved by what God did for me. Crystal clear. So, now that we know God loves us, how do you, how do you answer that? How do you respond? Well, in today's Gospel, uh, John 6, verse 30, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. We believe. Accept Him as Lord. We can't repay God's love, so don't work to do anything. Let God guide you as to why you were created. By the way, this isn't about doing things to please God and gain a reward. That is a sin. Knowing God loves you will cause you to act. You will respond to the love. 
So do y'all have any idea what the response is? And the answer is ministry. That is what we term how we respond to God's love. We go and do things out of our heart because we love God. You know, the, the poor person in need, someone at Walmart that doesn't have the extra two, three dollars in front of us for food they need for their family. You know, you can name a million things that you've seen and done or, or that you wish you did. Guilty. In today's epistle we read, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip them, the saints, that's you, for ministry. Which ministry? The epistle clearly states that pastors are the administrators. These guys are administrators. Their job is to equip you, prepare you, skip uh, teachers. We prepare you for ministry. If you go through all the classes and don't do anything, just sit at home, and you leave the world unserved, I'll let you all be the judge of that. I'm not going to judge anybody. We are called to be ministers of God. You do not need a Master in Divinity to serve at Teen Challenge. Or to hold a friend's hand who just lost a child. I did that recently. You just need a heart for God. A heart responding to God's call. Y'all, every single person in here, I believe, has felt God's call. One caution I'm going to give you, and this gets back to sitting at home and not doing anything even though you know you're called. It is a sin to waste the gifts God gave you. For those that want a little reference, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, and Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Uh, again, I won't judge you, but if you feel the call, you know what happened to Jonah? You don't want to spend a couple days in a fish. So, All right, so I want to talk about ministry for a second. I want to break ministry into two different forms. I want to do external ministry, and but my focus is going to be internal ministry. We have many wonderful examples of external ministers here. Uh, Deanna Moore through her medical mission work. Shane Prisk in chosen ministry. Bob Bledsoe, and Bob's not here. He was at the first service. His list is huge. Bob Hilton, prayer ministry. The Maloofs with High Sky. Nathan Knowles, Christmas in Action, and I could go on and on and on. Y'all get the picture. There's many people that I've left off the list. They're ministers. They're out in the world sharing the gospel. And I praise you and everybody who ministers in the world. Well done, good and faithful servants. And I have missed many, so I apologize if I miss you and come slap me around later. Um, but I do want to talk about internal ministry. I don't know if y'all have ever looked at it this way. Internal ministry is simply taking out the trash when the trash can's full. Very simple. Now all the wives are going, oh, my husband can't be a minister. Yeah. Actually, guys, we figured out if you press it down really hard, you can get another bunch in there. But eventually, if it's there long enough, we'll take it out. But this is where God responds 
You know, if you see the trash can's full, take it out. That's what we're trying to do here. We have so many opportunities to help in the church. This is your home. Greet those who come to the door, making sure everybody's seated comfortably. Getting AV slides developed and, and to change when they should. That's not as easy as it looks or sounds. Making sure the service has enough hands to help serve. If gifted, sing your praises to the Lord. Either through the Stephen ministry or when God calls you, holding the hand of a brother or sister in Christ when they need it. Remember, it is, it is a sin to waste the gifts that God gave you. So, what are you called to do? So the master carvers, have y'all ever, some, some people here have been on um, cathedral views in Europe where they've gone and seen different cathedrals and the beauty of them. And I, I'll probably love to do that one day. I can't remember who did that. But those of you who've seen pictures, all of the, the woodwork is ornately carved, beautiful. The, the story is that if you want to see the master carver's best work, you have to get a scaffold and you have to build it all the way to the top of the pillars that are there or on top of the flying buttresses. And you have to look on top because the master carver does his best work where only God can see it. If you don't know your ministry, we do have some courses coming up. The shape course will be coming up, uh, which we just finished a, a version of to kind of get a feel for what your gifts are and, and how, where you would fit into ministry. Um, we held it in the spring. We'll probably hold it, hold it again either in the winter or early spring. But the other thing is, if you feel called to be a, to a minister here, just step up. What's the worst thing that can happen? Just pick one. You know, I spoke some minutes ago about, uh, I spoke with some of these a minute ago, but let me talk about some other options. Altar guild. You have a beautiful altar. You can help take care of it. Um, altar flowers. Uh, food ministry through the women's uh, ministry. Ushers, welcomers, help with the children's ministry or youth ministry, which we'll hear some about in a bit. CC Arts Program. If you're interested in art, get with Stan, uh, Stan Jacobs. CC Recovery. It's a beautiful program for those that are struggling through dependency issues. Festival of St. Francis. If y'all want to get, my wife is involved with that. If y'all want to get involved with the Festival of St. Francis, give her a call. She'd love to have everybody here participate. And one that's dear to me is Stephen Ministry. And if you're thinking about Stephen Ministry, Stephen Ministry you've heard about a little bit. If you haven't, it's a ministry where you basically hold the hand of someone, take a little training, and you're able to sit there and, and help someone through difficult times, through difficulties. Um, just to let you know, if you get to a certain point, you turn it over to a counselor. You're trained to do that. This is an intermediate step, but it's important. Um, and you will grow to a point if you do join it that you'll know what to say when someone tells you, my child died last night. Stephen ministry training allowed me to also be able to minister at least, at least 20 men going through major recovery issues. And some of them will be here next week for the next service, next, next 1030 service, 1045. And I watched all of them uh, walk with Christ. And on a personal note, Stephen Ministry is my anchor in Midland when my daughter was ill in Dallas before she passed away. 
So I'm going to say in conclusion after that, and by the way, in conclusion normally means I got another five, 10 minutes, but I'm going to keep it real short. Um, many of you hearing my words feel a pull to do more, but are afraid. What if I fail? Don't worry, you will. What if I hurt somebody because I don't know what to say? At least you care. What if I let God down? You can't. God has already told you, if I am with you and He is, who can stand against you? Each of you can simply look at our church home and ask the question, what do I need to make my home, this place, our church more appealing to others? And do that. I don't know if you all have made the connection, those of you that don't come from a liturgical or Anglican background, but our Eucharist is an Anglican altar call. Exactly the same. When you come forward to receive Christ today, ask God to show your ministry, show you your ministry. And when He calls, just say, Here I am, Lord. Now, as we talked about, y'all already know the answer. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we. Lord, I ask that the words today touch the hearts of those who hear. And Lord, may you lead them to their ministries. And I ask this not in my name, but in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.